0: You got a Bible? You want to open up to Mark chapter eight, or you can turn it on, if that's what you're doing. Um, you know, while while you're doing that, I, I've already said this, but I just want to um, just thank you guys for how how you've shared Ronnie. Um, I know you you don't care probably, but um, Ronnie has has been like a pastor to me uh, for sure, and. Uh, it's just, during this season, but even before this transition and all that's gone on in my own life, he's just been an incredible encouragement to our church in, in Columbus. And uh, so thank you for sharing him in, in that way. And I, I, it may go without saying, or it may surprise some of you, but he's just an amazing pastor. And um, yeah, it's just been a huge encouragement to be to be shepherded and to be pastored by him, but also... You guys are so blessed, and I'm, I'm jealous uh, of you that you get to have Ronnie and Melissa in your lives all the time. Um, so jealous of you. All right. That's enough doting on them, though. Um, all right. Um, let me read the text passage for today. Um, out of reverence for God's Word, if you can, would you stand as we read this together for verses 1 through 21? This is Mark. He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, How many loaves do you have? They said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people, and they set set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got to the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalamanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said to them, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven in the Pharisee, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, twelve. And the seven for the four thousand. And how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand. Can have a seat? Well, early this morning when I woke up, uh, a friend of mine was texting me from Ethiopia, and uh, we were just chatting about the weather. Um, Strange Uh, to just be texting somebody in Africa about the weather. I mean, you remember those days when we had calling cards, like to call somebody across the state? or like outside of the city where you had calling card long distance, um, you had like a certain amount of long distance in your phone, and those kinds of things that technology like that has changed so much. And now we live in a day and age where you get news right away. Like I can find out um, right now, like in five seconds, what vinyl record Ronnie's listening to, you know, in like three seconds I can find out um, the greatest restaurant in all of Ashland, and it's just crazy how all this technology we have, these amazing wonders that we have right in our pocket, yet uh, we all all go throughout life kind of saying, um, yeah, that's pretty cool, um, but we take it all for granted, don't we? We take all of that to, for granted. Uh, there's a comedian, Louis C.K., he's got this famous um, skit that he does uh, with Conan O'Brien, and he, he basically says that we just need some time where we are all walking around with, uh, with donkeys and pots hanging on the sides. That would be good for us, wouldn't it? Like, well, we just need to go back back in time in a way that would be good for us because then we could see all these amazing miracles of technology and life and not take it for granted as much um so these miracles happen in our lives we're unsatisfied with these jaw-dropping mind-blowing miracles we just kind of go through life and we're like yeah that's pretty cool especially younger generations but these miracles are are so, they're so everyday, so amazing grace um, happens in our lives all the time, but we still go through life and we're not that impressed, even with big miracles. I mean, some of you have seen massive miracles happen in your life. You've seen cancer healed. Some of you have seen financial pr- provision at the last second. Uh, most all of you at least have seen the miracle of our souls being transferred from the dominion of darkness to the, the eternal joy, rest, resurrected life, communion with God, and yet you're still walking to church every week and say, "Ah." Eh. We want God to dance for us all the time. We want him to dazzle us all the time. We want him to be almost like a dog at our commandment. We want him do something, God. Do something to wow me today. Do something amazing. And if you don't, if you don't, then I'm going to not believe in you. I'm going to doubt you. I'm going to struggle with things. You, and, and then God looks at us and says, really, am I not enough of a miracle in your life? And so we come to Mark chapter 8 where three things happen to Jesus' disciples and the people all around Him. Three things happen to them. And to you and I, this, these three things happen to us all the time. We see some supernatural sign, and then others come along. Maybe that's you. You're the person who comes along and you're skeptical of the sign that you just saw. And then we move into this, I'll call it the eh phase. We're, we're just like, eh, okay, no big deal. We kind of have these phases of our lives and we forget what we have seen God do and we forget what he's done or we simply just miss the point altogether. We don't really capture and get what God has just done. And so let's walk through this section of the Bible as we do. Um, Imagine you are actually there. Just imagine yourself for a moment that you're at the crowds. You're super hungry. You've been with Jesus because his teaching has been so profound and you want to hear more from him and so you're following him around, but you're super hungry and Jesus looks at you and he says, I have compassion on these people. I can see they're really hungry. They're so hungry that if we decide to go ahead and walk back into the city, they're just going to fall over. They're going to collapse all along the way. They're super hungry. And so Jesus has compassion. He gives thanks. He provides miraculous bread and fish. And so imagine you're there. You, You watch then the religious Pharisees go up to Jesus, and you're like, what's going on? It's kind of a heated debate going on. They're fighting with Jesus. They go back and forth, and clearly Jesus is teaching something deeper than they can't get. And then you even watch the disciples totally miss the point too. You see Jesus sigh. Ugh. You know, he's, he, he's, he, there, he's got so many questions for them. So He just drops them all on them. He, he asks the disciples all these different questions to consider. And now you're in the place where you overheard all those questions, and so you're considering those questions even for yourself as the disciples are. So let's go into the story. First, let's look at the supernatural sign in verses 1 through 10. This might be a, a miracle here that many are familiar with because we know it. Uh, it just happened. Another miracle, just like it, the feeding of the 5,000 happened. Now, some scholars would say that this is the same miracle that happened, and this is kind of two different versions, but um, most Most would say that, no, this is actually two different uh, feedings. The first one with the 5,000 was actually predominantly a Jewish audience. This is in a different place uh, with a predominant Gentile people. And so what makes them the same is that the disciples didn't get it. It's the same lesson So that's why it feels very much the same. The the disciples watch this amazing miracle happen. They eat bread. They eat fish that should not have been given to them because there shouldn't have been enough. But that's happens, and they still didn't get it. But but it is important to see some of the details in this sign. Um, So I want to point out a few. Now, some of you, last week, I know you talked about the deaf man who was able to hear, um, but we see that the crowd is mostly made up of Gentiles here. We see the crowd is mostly made up of Gentiles, Um, and and so they're in this new territory, a, a, a Gentile territory, and this subtle fact is really important. This is really important because Jesus is always breaking down barriers, social norms. And so he's breaking down a bunch. One is that he is spending all this time with Gentiles as a Jew. And second, he's breaking all of these feeding, these these eating laws that the Jews had. He's just breaking down all of that and he's welcoming in the outsider. See, in our culture we're fine with Jew and Gentile language. Because that's very much a biblical language, and it doesn't really, we can't see quite a connection with our own lives. But if we begin to see the cultural similarities, we'd find that, like Jesus, he was going to a people that the church would not feel comfortable with. So imagine the people you would feel really uncomfortable with right here sitting next to you. Now, not long ago, on a Sunday morning, there's a woman that I have spent a great amount of time with um, praying over. She has been uh, sex trafficked. She's uh, still struggling to break free from her pimp. She uh, is addicted to heroin and, um, and crack. And um, most regularly, I see her several times a week, and we're having these long conversations uh, about her journey. It's been, a, it's been a long three years that we've known each other, Um, But she always comes around because she's hungry for Jesus. She wants to break free. She's trying to get her life together. And so we get to pray together uh, almost every week. And and I just let her know how much I love her, how much um, we as a church need her. And and she feels very comfortable there. And it was one particular week I spent about 20 minutes praying with her and talking with her. And this is before a Sunday gathering. And then... uh, The gathering happens and after the gathering a guy comes up to me with one of our other pastors and he wants to pray. He had just been arrested for um, uh, prostituting women and he is called a John, somebody who buys women. And he was arrested, completely broken, so much shame in his life as he's facing all of these these issues and the shame and the guilt of, of, of that. And we got to, me and another pastor got to pray over him. And so, These two different worlds all coming together, completely uncomfortable with each other. But they're there. This is what's going on. This is the audience. So the Pharisees are looking in this, and they are so uncomfortable. They are uncomfortable with what they're seeing. Jesus draws both of these worlds together, the marginalized, the outsider, the religious rejects, uh, Jesus goes to them and something about Jesus is magnetic to the broken and to the weary. Just the just who he is draws them in. And Jesus sees that they're very hungry. Verse 2 shows the incredible nature of God. He cares. He has compassion. Jesus said, I have compassion for these people. He saw the needy, the outcasts, and He didn't push them away. He didn't see an excuse to exit here. He's like, they look hungry. Maybe we should dismiss them to go and get some food or something. He shows compassion and He sought a way to feed them. And notice the disciples didn't notice this. They didn't catch this. They didn't understand this. Again, we often miss the opportunity to show compassion on the hungry and the destitute, but Jesus doesn't miss that. So if you've come to church and you're like, man, they've treated me so bad. I mean, here, this is an awesome hospitable place. But sometimes you can get missed. So you go to a church gathering, you experience Christians and you're like, man, they, just, they were not friendly. They weren't nice. Jesus doesn't miss those things. He, doesn't, he, he sees the pain or sees struggle in your life, and He captures you. He brings you in. He draws you into His presence and loves on you. He feeds you. This is good news for us. Very good news. If you feel like you've been burnt out, if you've been frustrated by uh, the religious institute of the church or those kinds of things, Jesus is drawing you in. But Jesus sees their hunger, he calls them to sit down, he takes seven loaves of bread and a few small fish, and he multiplies them to feed everyone. It's an incredible miracle. I mean, they ate until they were full, they were satisfied. So they're all like starving, and now they're just lounging around like, oh man, I ate way too much fish. How did we eat so much fish? It's incredible. I mean, this was a miracle that would have to set off a party wouldn't it? I mean, people have got to be starting to celebrate here. I mean, I, 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 am, I know when I'm eating a ton of food and hanging out with all these people, 4,000 people, a party has had to have broken out. There's got to be some dancing and celebrating of what's going on here. But the disciples seem to not get it. They didn't catch the power of what's going on. But all the people who will help make the point clear, all these people will help make the point clear, but first we see that the religious leadership have got a few answers they need. They needed a few. There's skeptical here. The Pharisees come along, and so that's. let's look at our second point in verses 11 through 13. So where there's a miracle, there will always be the skeptical, right? There's always going to be the people that are like, okay... What kind of trick did you play? How does this actually happen? Give me the science here. And the, the Pharisees are coming along and they don't believe it. So they're making their way through the crowds. But, but, but imagine first that they were, they're there in the crowds. So the baskets are being passed around and they're, they're watching it. Wait, how did, wait, okay, it's about to run out. It's got to run out. And the basket comes to them and it's full. So they're like, all right. So they're eating some too. They're going, they're, they've got to be hungry. There's nowhere to get food all around them. So they themselves have to be starving. But they eat it. They eat the food. And, and um, they're trying to find a way to catch Jesus in this heresy and trap him for blasphemy of some sort. But these baskets come and they pull the fish and the bread out. They look at it. They smell it. They, they might even give it a little taste. And I'm sure they eat it. Uh, But it just doesn't seem right. They're not convinced. How does he do this? Where's the proof? So they wiggle their way again through the people to find Jesus, and they question him. Now, notice Mark lets lets us in on their motivation. It's not honest skepticism. There is a difference between honest skepticism and just being a jerk, right? Right? I mean, some people have deep questions about God, deep questions about theology, who God is, and they just need some questions answered, and that's good. But there are those who come to Him who are there to trick, try to trick Him. And the Pharisees, as Mark tells us, are there because they want to test Jesus, so that, that's it's good. If you have questions about Jesus, you need to ask them. But he, Jesus is very concerned when you're, go, you're coming to Him and you're just trying to trick Him. You're just trying to test Jesus. They didn't want to be a part of the miracle. They wanted an up-close show. So they come and they, 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 they say, give us a sign from heaven. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Did you not just see what I did? A sign from heaven came. It's, they're, they're coming and they're saying, okay, Jesus, we want you to dance for us. We want you to do some kind of show for us, perform for us. Show us right now on our schedule, in our way, in our timing, some tricks that can only come from God. And so Jesus is just like, you've got to be kidding me. He sighs deeply. I mean, you know it's bad when Jesus sighs. But again, he isn't sighing because he's tired of them. He's not sighing because he's just straight up annoyed. He's not tired of humanity's utter stupidity and unbelief. It's their, con- their, 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 con- their, their hard heart. It's, it's just they're always hard and they're always just, they're just coming up against God thinking, I know better than God does. They weren't satisfied with what they just saw, what they just tasted, what still rests in their own stomach that is providing nutrients for them to even speak. They're not, it's not good enough. And so Jesus calls them out on it. It's like he's thinking out loud, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? It's like he's thinking about it. Thinking out loud in front of them. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to give you another miracle. And so he just jumps in his boat and leaves. I love that. It's just like, peace out, I'm done. I mean, that's what he does. Immediately he jumps in his boat and he rolls out. It's like he looked at the disciples and he's like, man, help me. Help me. Get the boat ready, guys. guys, These guys are crazy. The crazy guys are here. Get the boat ready. These dudes are out of their mind. And so... um, I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want to leave us all with a picture of Jesus really annoyed here, because that's easily how we can interpret this. Jesus is really annoyed, and so he's like, all right, I'm jumping in the boat, and I'm getting out of here, all right? But there is kind of an immediacy to him, and, and it's just like a, these guys are crazy. So we've seen the supernatural sign of bread and the fish multiplying, and we've seen the skepticism of the Pharisees Coming forth to question Jesus, but look at the final verses in verse 14 through 21. Here is where it turns back to the disciples for their interpretation of the event. Now, this is where I think we all really need to start paying attention to the story. This is where it's not just we need to pay attention to what is being said, but we need to start thinking about it in light of our own hearts. It's like the application because there's something important going on. At this point, the whole Jesus crew is on the boat. All the disciples, they're all there, and Jesus gets on and he sees that they've only brought one loaf of bread. Now, again, I'm not trying to paint Jesus as this drama queen, you know, or anything like that, but he's got to be getting on the boat and be like, Where's the bread? We got one loaf. And he's like, Are you guys serious? Like, seriously, one loaf of bread for all of us? Like, I can't do these miracles all day, guys, right? I can't just keep doing this all day. It feels like, the, I mean, it feels like that, um, you know, when my, my wife and I get in the car with our kids, I mean, how many times this winter have we got in with our, we have four kids, and so that's a lot to keep track of. We get in and we like notice that our son's in flip-flops and it's the middle of winter. Like, seriously, how does this happen? Like, dude, you can't do that. Thankfully, Jesus is way more patient and loving than I am in these situations, so he uses this stupidity to teach him a lesson. You brought one loaf of bread. You guys are idiots, but let me just use this as a time to teach you something. Maybe teach you something about me. So there's a few lessons that come to mind when I think about being in the boat with the disciples, and I'm really trying to interpret what Jesus is, going, is teaching here. The first lesson, Jesus looks at the disciples and He's seeing if they understood what the real issue with the Pharisees were. So He's like, okay, we got some lessons going on. Do you understand what just happened with the Pharisees? Do you guys see that? Do you see what was going on with them? Why did they come to me asking these questions? Why they're coming... Asking, and they're being really skeptical. He's asking, what out, uh, out of, of the yeast, when he's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod, what is that all about? So this caused a discussion among them. They're like, I don't know we got one loaf of bread, and he's talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. What does all of this mean? And so he's really trying to stir them up to start thinking about what does that mean with the Pharisees and all of that. But they're clueless. They're clueless what in the world Jesus means by this. So what we can gather from this text is that there was this ongoing conversation with the disciples about the bread. They couldn't stop talking about the bread. How did Jesus do it? How did he multiply it? They were arguing about the sign, the miracle, and they barely paid attention to what Jesus meant. They're not. They, again, look, notice they're not engaging in the conversation about the yeast or the Pharisees. Jesus is trying to give them a lesson, but they're not paying attention. They saw the sign. Don't start humming ace of bass right there. All right? But they couldn't see the metaphor at work. They couldn't actually see what was going on. The disciples were so preoccupied and distracted. They're still like, guys, we got in trouble by Jesus for, not, for only bringing one. They're arguing with themselves about this loaf of bread. When Jesus is saying, did you see what happened with the Pharisees? They're, they're, they're the yeast. He's trying to give them something. But they're distracted. So Jesus uh, went on to lay down a series of questions, ending with, do you still not understand? Do you still not truly see what this is all about? I mean, the first point is that they missed the point with the Pharisees. They just didn't even answer that question. They didn't even try to engage what just happened with these religious people, that they were like a little leaven which affects the whole loaf. But to the next point that Jesus was making, it was more than them being about something else. Right? So at first Jesus is trying to give them a lesson about the Pharisees and the religious people, but now he's like, they're not getting that. Okay, so I'm going to start addressing you directly. That's Jesus' next point that he's trying to make. Jesus brings it home to show them their own spiritual dullness. So, again, if you're here and you're like, Christianity is just kind of like, eh. You know, I've seen miracles. I've seen great things happen. I've seen God do amazing things in other people's lives and even my own life. But you're here and you're just dull. This is is where Jesus is like, wake up, pay attention, because I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to address you. They couldn't see it yet. But this is where most of you might be at today. The place where you could argue all day about spiritual things. You could debate. You could defend matters of God. You've seen the miracles. You've tasted the bread, but you find yourself in that place just saying, ah. The disciples resisted seeing the true sign here. They are still talking about the actual bread when Jesus is talking about their hearts. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. Most importantly, remember everything they just experienced with Jesus, they didn't understand. And we look at this and we're like, are you? how can you not understand? You've literally been walking with Jesus. You saw Him heal a deaf man. You saw Him multiply bread and fish over. How do you not understand this? But there are many Christians today... maybe many here in this room, many of you who go through life in that place of just missing the point. That Jesus is trying to drill into their hearts. We like to take the moral ethics of Jesus. We like to take the culture of American Christianity. Maybe the peaceable hippiness of Jesus. We like that. We like that part of him. Whatever you want Jesus to be. We like those things, but you miss the point that Jesus actually makes. Yes, Jesus does want to provide bread for the stomach. He gets the disciples to see that by saying, look guys, I fed 5,000. And how much food did we start with? And I fed 4,000. And how much food did we start with and end with there? So we can establish that I provide a sign, right? We can establish that. And they're nodding their heads. Yeah, yeah, we had leftovers. We see that you did a miracle. But Jesus is looking at them again and saying, okay, so what's the point? What is the point of all of that? Well, the disciples still had a journey to understand, just as I imagine many of you here have. So you may leave here scratching your head seeing the miracle, tasting the bread, but you're still not getting it. What is it? What is it that we're supposed to be getting here? The point is that the bread of life was not in the multiplied loaves, but actually in Jesus Christ. What was being put out there was a, a bigger point, a bigger sign, we could say, a deeper sign, a more cosmic sign. It's a sign. A sign points somewhere else, doesn't it? And Jesus is showing that the sign that is Jesus' identity was wrapped up in God's identity that Jesus was coming to bring God. God, Jesus carried with Him an authority, a power to offer more than just food for the belly but satisfaction of the soul. Something that everybody kept missing. Now while many of us want to make Jesus... Um, out to be our moral compass, for example, or, or our, just our example. We look at Him and say, okay, Jesus came to give us an example of how God is so we can be like God. We can example Him. Jesus is pulling us closer to Himself to see that the sign they saw actually pointed back to Him. It was pointing to Him. A sign, again, is a sign. It tells you about something else. That means... That the deaf hearing, the blind seeing, the hungry satisfied was a sign that pointed back to the one who made it all right, who ushered in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is coming along and he's rebuking the disciples and saying, look, you want all the things about God, but you aren't wanting God. You're wanting all the things that I bring but you're not actually wanting me Jesus rebuked the disciples for not understanding this sign and I don't want you to take I don't want to take any sting away from this for from you because Jesus is rebuking all of us here It should sting us in our American Christian culture that's taken Christianity and made a religion where His name is mentioned and His blessings are asked for, but He is not the center. His signs are the center, or we, the, the results of the sign are the center, and that is essentially me, right? I want to be fed. I want to hear. I want to see. The blessings... The blessings become the center, and of course we love that so much more when Jesus is coming along and saying, no, you guys are missing the point. Those are just signs of something greater. The sign is pointing to me. We want God to bless us, but we don't actually want God Himself. And so Jesus... He's not done unpacking this idea. Actually, for the next several chapters, He's unpacking this idea over and over again because we're left here with the disciples still like, uh, I don't understand. I don't know. So maybe some of you here are like, oh, I'm getting it. I get it. I see what you're doing here. But the disciples weren't there yet. They didn't get it. So over the next few chapters... It's, Jesus is going to keep unpacking it. Actually, it's like all of Jesus' life He's still unpacking it. But He's got to drill this vision into the disciples' heart. He's got to do it in your heart today. And really over the next few weeks, if you can't understand the difference, if you can't see that there's a difference between what God gives us right here in this world and who God is, that we are called, this, the things that God gives us are a sign. They point to who God is, to God Himself if we can't go after God Himself, then we miss the point of Christianity. We miss the whole point. So to get it, what do we do? I hope that's what you're asking. I hope you're like, okay, yes, I am totally wrapped up like the disciples are in food. I want provision, I want healing, I want the things of God. But you might be asking, how do I get God Himself? How do I actually have authentic Christianity? I hope you're asking that. Well, to understand this is an act of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's got to open our hearts up. So I want to leave us with a few exercises as we pursue the Spirit and ask Him to open our hearts Just a few exercises, uh, applications, whatever you want to call it, that will stir our hearts towards a greater vision of Jesus. First is just really take note of your desires. What do you desire? Like, just stop and think. Really, God, honestly, I just desire happy life, relaxing peace to be fed. I don't want to I want to be healed. I want the things of you. We want that more than we want God himself. Are we willing to say, "God, I will be deaf, blind. I'm talking physically deaf, blind, hungry. I'd rather have all of that if I can have you." We got to know our desires, asking ourselves if we're looking for the sign to make all things right in the world, or we're looking for the one that the sign points to. So when our world is falling in on us, when things are collapsing all around us and we lose our job, we lose a sense of identity, can we look up to the heavens and say, Jesus, you're enough? This is so difficult, so hard. When we really start reflecting on our desires, some of you won't like what you see. But God knows that when our desires are in line with Christ, when they're going to Christ, when we see what the signs are meant for, our world actually comes together. Our broken world becomes whole because we are experiencing the life God has meant us to live. When we go into Him, when we go and are drawn near to Him, then we start seeing those things, the the, the hunger being satisfied, because we are with the bread of life. We find deep satisfactions and our desires that actually change. So take note of our desires. And the second exercise is simply to confess and repent of our failure. I have to do this all the time. I have to do this all the time. And I'm so, when I read this, I am so grateful that the disciples seem stupider than me. I mean, aren't you? that they're like literally right there and they can't get it. And I'm, I'm just reading about it and I know the end. I know Jesus' death and His resurrection. I know that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I know that He rose from the dead three days later. I know how the story goes, the whole story. And so I look at the disciples and I'm like, man, they just did not get it. They didn't understand. They didn't see as they lived in a world where they saw bread and fish multiply and they still were like, you know, eh, no big deal. But I also look and see, where did they end up? They ended up changing the world. They experienced Christ's death and His resurrection. Their lives blew up in a good way. I mean, they're just completely transformed and and went on to change the world and plant churches and be on mission. So if you're here and you feel like, Everything I'm saying is way over your head. You feel like it's super sketchy. You're really skeptical of it all. Don't despair. Confess to God as you lay down in your bed tonight, thinking about this, and just say, Lord, I want to understand you. I want my my desires to be for you and you alone. Open my eyes. Open my ears. Help me to understand because I don't. The disciples didn't. They had to go on a journey. I don't. Take me on that journey. So we examine our hearts. We look at our desires, but we confess and we repent and we turn to Him and we ask for Him. So as you come back over the next few weeks, you'll begin to see a pattern emerge in the Scriptures. You'll be able to see this pattern. Pay attention to that pattern and do some deep reflection in your own life asking the Lord to change your heart. Supernatural signs happen in our lives. A supernatural sign has happened in Jesus coming into our world, calling men and women to Himself. Some will live in skepticism like the Pharisees, and others will see signs as they're supposed to be. They are signs that point to Jesus, that point to His death for the forgiveness of our sins, that point to His resurrection, that set us free to eternal life with Him. So as we come to Him today, let's go to Him asking Him for Him, not for what He does. Can we do that? Let's pray. Lord, we come before You now and we ask, God, that You might change us, transform us, stir us up, that we might be drawn nearer to You. God, we confess as Your people that we want the things of You more often than we just want You. But God, we just don't understand We don't understand. Like the disciples that have gone before us, like many saints who have gone before us, God, it is hard in this world to understand, but we ask for Your help and Your strength. Would You do this work in us? Lord, I pray for those who are super skeptical of You that are here today, God, that You might stir their hearts to come after You, to walk with You, to be transformed by you. You are good and gracious, God, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.